welcome to a brand new episode of What in the World with me, your host, Ollie Dennett. Wherever you're listening to the podcast today, whether it be in the car, on your way to work, or just sat at home with a cup of tea and cake, thank you very much for listening. Whether you're a first-time listener or have listened to other episodes of What in the World, I equally welcome you all to my podcast and settle down because this one is not to be missed. Like in any other episode of What in the World, we've got guests, we've got stories, and most importantly, we hear from you all about the world's topics and what you have to say. On today's episode, we have Abby Thompson, who is a researcher at the BBC, as she tells me all about the world of telly, the secrets it holds, and what goes on behind the scenes. I'm like stood with the presenter while the presenter's getting like autographs and photo- photos and they're like, they then come up to me and like, can we have your autograph? On tour with us, there's been Martin Dugan from Newsround, Shanika Paris from Newsround and Robin Richford. Yeah, like at this point, like we're best mates really. I will also be speaking to manager of the Lions Club, Cameron Knowles, all about what it's like to be in a busy bar dealing with nightlife and the crazy stories you hear and see. It's like, it's almost like, a private pantomime and you're the main character. It's a constant show, it's a constant, you know, it's a, a constant performance all night long and you've got to be that main person, you're the main character in that show, except, you know, you, the reason why I say pantomime is because you're interacting with your audience. Also on the podcast today, I'm talking about a big global sporting event that has taken over our TV screens, our radio, and it's also plastered online. It is, of course, the World Cup. With the World Cup hosted in Qatar, it's got various different issues surrounding the heat, the political side of things, let alone before we even start the actual competition. So I speak to you guys on the matter as you tell me what you think about this story. I don't think it should be hosted there and I think FIFA needs to look at itself and and think about some of the decisions that it makes. It seems to be completely um, obsessed about money. Anyway, before we get started with all of that, Let me give you a rundown about what is actually going on in the world we live in today. Our first story today is with the £39 billion takeover of Twitter, the world's richest man, Elon Musk, has announced a huge shake-up to the platform. With the social media platform losing more than £3.5 million per day, Musk has insisted this gave him no choice but to cut around half of the company's staff. This led to some believing Twitter could water down its efforts to regulate certain content. Twitter has also announced that a fee will now be paid for the blue tick verification, which previously was handed to profiles belonging to high profile, influential individuals or companies that needed to verify themselves. This also comes as Meta, Facebook's owner, announced that there will also be 13% of the workforce cut. Reportedly, 11,000 employees are expected to lose their jobs being laid off by Zuckerberg, as he states, it's some of the most difficult changes in Meta's history. At the start of COVID, the world moved online, with a surge of e-commerce leading to revenue growth. This didn't carry on and is the main reason for this statement. Another story that has hit our headlines is that monkeypox has been given a new name by global health experts Mpox. The World Health Organization announced this after complaints over racist language linked to the virus's name. There will be a year of transition of the virus's title and this came after discussions between experts, countries and the general public 
The bit about its history includes human monkeypox was first identified in 1970 and named after a disease caused by the virus that was discovered in captive monkeys more than a decade before. Countries that the disease has been found in include the US, Canada, Australia and the UK. There have been around 3,400 confirmed cases since May. The risk to the general population is low, with a vaccine to protect against the disease set to run in the UK, with a high demand for more. There are two main strains of the virus, with the milder one from West Africa circulating other areas of the world. Symptoms and feelings include tiredness, feeling nauseous and having blister spots across the genitals and lower part of the body. Caused by close contact of touching skin or sharing bedding with someone who already has it, the most commonly found people that have seemed to attract the virus are those that have men-on-men -men contact. Finally, less than half of England and Wales' population are Christian. This is according to a new study set out by Census 2021. With the census carried out every decade, people who have said they had no religion rose by 12 percentage points while those who identified as Muslim rose by 1.2 million. New figures now show that 46.2% of the population said they identify as Christian, with the figures being 27.5 million compared with 33.3 million in 2011. Census has a purpose to help organisations make decisions on planning and funding public services, including transport, education and healthcare. The second most common response was no religion, which increased by 12 percentage points to 37.2%, which equates to 22.2 million from 25.2%, which is 14.1 million in 2011. Other changes include increases in the amount of Muslims and Hindus that are now in Britain. Whether it be the streets we walk through, buildings we work in, or our neighbour next door, our world is getting more diverse by the day and what a brilliant sight that is to see. With more diverse demographics in and around us, whether that be our town, city or local village, there are more stories and more ideas that come from different walks of life, making ourselves more educated about the world we live in today. Now that is the world of news that is currently going on on today's planet. Let me tell you a little bit more about the guests that we have on today's show. Have you ever stepped into a bar, or maybe had your favourite bartender pull you a pint, or witness a fight when you're just trying to enjoy a quiet drink? Maybe you've had one, two, or maybe you've experienced all three of those things. From making and creating drinks, to understanding the challenges of working in a big city, working long hours in a world where you're the only person trying to stay sober, I spoke with Liars Club manager Cameron Knowles to find out more about the world of booze. My name's Cameron Knowles. I'm a manager at a uh, nightclub in Manchester called the Liars Club. It's fun. It's a crazy job for a lot of people. It's a very odd world. It's a very odd industry. It's a very odd amount of people that you meet. And it can be massively fun and massively horrible all at the same time from any different, any any type of perspective you look at it, really. You know, so... If we if we today we're going to talk about the business sides of it, like the party sides of it, the fun sides of it, what we get up to, how we look after customers, how customers do our nutting and all that type of stuff. Definitely. So what was your sort of journey in becoming a manager? How did you sort of get in that mindset that you wanted to 
be who you are today? Uh, well, um, no, went, went, to, went in high school, did that, went college, did that, went uni, did that, didn't really enjoy any of the things I did along the way. I've worked in many different types of bars and like hospitality places. I used, uh, my first job was in a strip club. Um, what a first job to have. Yeah, first job was in a strip club wearing a big fur coat with blue hair uh, when I was 18. Uh, then I worked in like this little pub in the middle of nowhere who was owned by this really cranky old man who used to kick off the fact that they never had enough stock on their stock count when he was the one drinking it all and giving it away. Uh, and then I, wor- I worked in the, the gay village in Manchester for a bit, which, again, is its very own, very different sort of job. Um, and then I started working for a bar called Cane and Green in the Northern Quarter. And when I got there, I had no idea what I was doing, at cocktails and stuff like that. Like, I knew how to pour a pint. I could make spirit mixes easy enough, but, like, it was all cocktail-focused and stuff like that. And I, like, I just really needed a job and nearly wanted to work there. So I was like, fuck it. I'll do anything. I'll wash pots for you. I'll clean toilets. Just give me a job. They took me on. And then I was, I was there for about five months, and it was like the, the Christmas staff do. And um, my general manager turned around to me and was like, right, if you want to be a bartender, then you're working the... Um, 9am shift it really interested me I've always had like a quite a creative side of me like I've, I've always sort of done like artistic options in life but I always fell out of love with them really quickly um but like you know working with cocktails and alcohol and stuff like that it sort of allowed me to sort of show a more like creative culinary side but in the world of drinks it sounds almost egotistical and vain to say and I've had this conversation with plenty of bartenders so if any bartenders listen to this do know who I am you know, I'm like a famous bartender in Manchester. If you, if I'm wrong, <laughs> feel free to come and tell me in person that I'm wrong. But I, how many of you don't know me? That's what I want to know. How many How many of you don't actually know me? You do. Everyone does. And it's, I love it, but it's fucking annoying. I hate it. <laughs> Even if it's not by name, it's by face. Yeah, Somehow yeah, people recognise you. Literally, I walk into any bar or restaurant in Manchester and someone's like, oh, yes, Cameron, how are you? You were talking there about some of the competitions that you've entered before. What what ones are they? Uh, I entered the I went, I went the um, Gosling's Rum. Um, I entered a Bacardi thing not too long ago. I uh, did some work with Sip Smith's Gin. Multiple things with Havana. Uh, made up some cocktails for Diabless Rum. I could keep going. Bamboo. Yeah. I'm trying to think of rum brands I've worked with without I... slagging them off. I suppose there's never really a regular day or a regular evening. Obviously, customers, chaos and cash as well, to be fair, to to complete yeah. the three C's, as it were. But how how do you find it, sort of? Is, is there is there a regular day? Uh, there's definitely regular days. It just depends where you work. Um, where I work, is not, you don't necessarily get your regular days. We, we, we do sort of have like a, you know, a set pattern to how our week goes, you know, in terms of earnings and takes and, you know, how busy we're going to get at certain times of the day. We know when we're going to get busy. We know when we're going to be quiet. Because we're one of the late night venues in Manchester, a lot of bartenders will come to our place once they've finished work. Party people, hen parties, stag dudes, birthdays, little fucking runts with their fake IDs who have got to take off them, you know, people who want to be hard men, mm. people who, millionaires. I've got the, I've got business cards from the CEO of Job Seekers. Really? Weirdly. I met him. I've met so many people who own rum companies, like multi-million billionaire people. How do you um, feel meeting them as sort of a manager of a they club? Just, and it's, no, it's just, I, I talk to everyone. I talk to my customers, you know, when it comes to hospitality. You, know, you go into a bar 
and you order a drink, you know, it depends where you go. Like, you know, if you go into a student bar and order a drink, they're just going to give you a beer or a fucking strongbow dart fruit or whatever else you ask for. But, like, you know, people who... I, I solely stock quality products for, you know, to sell. I, I, I pride myself on that. You know, I don't sell Captain Morgan's because it ain't rum. Fun fact for you. Oh. What, what is it? Um, it it's a rum-flavoured liqueur. It's just me being a snob, really. <laughs> it is it is shit, but anything that's under thir- under anything under thirty seven point five percent legally can't be labelled as a spirit. Therefore, Captain Morgan Spiced is not rum because it is less than thirty seven point five percent. That is something I did not know. <laughs> yeah, if you go into a student bar and you ask for a beer, they just can give you a beer. They might not have that chat with you. You know, they might not like take the time with you. You know, I try to take my time with my customers. You know, and interact with them, because at the end of the day, you know, customer comes into my bar, orders a cocktail, and they hate it. It was mm. a shit drink, right? But I gave them outstanding, outstanding customer service. They're probably gonna, they're going to come back and buy another drink. They're not going to buy the same one. But if I give them shit service and a shit drink, then they're going to be like, well, he's a knobhead. But you know. It's all about customer service. That's that's how it has to be. It's like that's sort of the way forward for it. It's about creating an experience and you know a memory for people because you see people at all different types of stages of their life as well. You know, people drink to mourn, to, you know, to grieve, to celebrate, to have fun, to forget whatever it may whatever it may be. You know, whether they're out there, you know, putting on a like. A, a pseudo character for themselves to pretend around their their mates. You see all these different types of people, and you've got to know how to talk to different types of people. You know, if you get like a group of little eighteen year old girls who've just come in, you know, first time being out on the party, like screaming, like "Ooh yeah, party time!" You know, you've got to serve them, and you've got to serve them in the right manner and talk to them in the right way. Whereas, you know, if you've got some you know bloke in a business suit who looks about fifty four with a girl hanging onto his arm who's clearly not his daughter but his daughter's age you know you've got to talk to him differently as well you know it's oh hello there sir how are you you're right there miss how what what can i get for you two this evening would you both like to look at the cocktail menu or would you like to look at the cocktail miss sir uh, sir this is the rooms we have on offer if you'd like any whiskeys you know you've got to sell it to people you, you, you've got to you've got to be able to switch from one person to another and in the blink of an eye sort of thing yeah Depends but uh, you know on one of the things that comes got. with that though is, is it's 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 so exhausting mm, mentally to, and to, physically yeah 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 exactly because you know you, you've got to go from being this almost a party person to this you know sophisticated person and then back and forth all night long and you, you've got you know a, a, a bunch of lads come in you know like somehow managed to get past the, the door staff or wearing tracksuit you know it's like oh yes blood what you're doing you've got to talk to them differently it's like not not in a stereotypical manner and i know it's wrong to say this but, you know one of the judges of bartenders you have to judge people on face value you have to because that's how you sell to people that's how any salesman works and it's not the right thing to do because obviously but then if you have that conversation with someone and someone comes to the bar and then you talk to them the wrong way, then you've got to be able to change it up and then, you know, apologize or, you know, it's you're in their servitude whilst you're at work. So if you were to hire someone, what sort of skills would you say are most important to possess if you were going into that industry? Conversational skills, really. Literally just conversational skills, having, um, you have to have a humble personality. Uh, and that's one of the things I say to, you know, which is one of the things that I don't possess anymore. 
But if, <laughs> upon coming into it, you have to have a humble personality. Um, you know, until you get to the stage where you can just be a dickhead for the sake of being a dickhead, you know, you, you've got to be, you've got to be nice. You've got to be patient. And and that's, that's a lot of the work is around the, your, your colleagues, really. It, it's not really to do with your customers per se, because obviously, yeah, you still have to have a decent level of skill at talking to people when they come through the door. But if, if, if your colleagues don't get along with you, it's, it's just not going to work. It doesn't really matter how much experience you have in terms of cocktails and beer knowledge and or how to pour a pint. Like, you know, I can teach you all those things in a week. Like, I mean, if you want to go into more advanced, you know, methods of doing stuff like that, I've got books and books and books I can throw at you and, and stuff like that. But, you, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all trial and error when it comes to actual skills development but if to, to work in a bar and to to, to do it you've, you've just gotta show don't don't go in there and act like you know what you're doing because there's people that have been there a long time and a lot of a lot of bars you know it's people people who work there get attached with them and it, things have been done in a certain way for a certain period of time and that's how it gets for done a certain don't, reason as well, don't, don't walk in there as a new person trying to change the matter because it doesn't work what would you say um, lies? What What would you say is the unique selling point of Liars Club in comparison to other places that you've visited in the past or around the area as well? Uh, we're a party bar. We are a party bar. The you know we drink more than the customers do. <laughs> we 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 party alongside everyone. It's you know it, it's. It's it's a tea, it's a tiki style bar and it's it's been it's we've been in Manchester for a long time now we've been here just nearly eleven years, but it's you know it's it, it's all about fun you know you go into certain bars and it's like oh you're right mate yeah here you go nice one cheers in a bit it's like that's that's not what you get with us you get you get an interaction it's sort of you know you you the staff myself especially take the time to sort of interact with customers and get to know our clientele and stuff like that and like I said you know 70% of the, the people we get through the door are regulars aside from Friday Saturday night you know that's that's when we just get our, our regular like one-time punters in you know and they might come back and you get the people that's like oh I was here three years ago or yeah. and, I, and I spoke to this guy called Rob and I'm like Fucking hell, Rob, hasn't wa- Rob hasn't worked here for a year <laughs> Like, like Rob left like about three weeks after COVID. Like, how the hell do you know Rob? <laughs> a guy, a guy just after COVID came in. Um, you know, back when it was all everyone had to sit outside, and he had um, a membership card for the Liars Club, which was nine years old. And I was like, I don't. I was like, fuck COVID rules. <laughs> Come inside while I just show my boss this. <laughs> There's countless things that we have to do and deal with. That it's like. I try and keep out of like the you know the staff sort of. Not I don't keep it from the staff. The transparency is key with me. It always has to be. You know, it's one of the things that like, yeah, I work in a bar. Yes, I'm a manager of a bar. Yes, technically you are my employees, my staff, but you're not because you're my colleagues. I at the end of the day, I'm a bartender who gets paid more because I've got to send an email at the end of the day. That's like the 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 the, the real crude version of it. Really, that's. That's all it really accounts for. But together, everyone you know, it, is part of one big team. Yeah, but then it's also the case is like you know it's 
you know, if a fight happened in, in, in at work or something like that, you know, I've had it before where one of my staff has gone over to try and break it up. I've gone over there and I've ended up screaming at him before I've screamed at the customers. And not like screamed at him in like, you know, a bad way, you know, like pulling to one side, get the fuck off, stop it, move, go back there, take a fucking deep breath, then dealt with whatever's going on with my customers. Probably shouted at my door staff for not being quick enough. Mm. And then I've gone like back into the thing. I'm like, right, first off, fucking thank you that was amazing secondly don't ever fucking do that ever again <laughs> and having that it was like it was like why 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 i'm like because i don't want you to get hurt i don't want you to get hurt i don't give a shit about these customers i'd rather you know yeah health and the safety, risk they take one. you running over there you know that, i don't want you to get hurt i don't know these people i know you i mean i don't want anyone to get hurt at the end of the day but you know he's still it's obviously everyone you look out for your friends and and stuff like that first and foremost aren't you really there must have been a few people that you've sort of encountered with and a few things that you've even seen that must be so, so gruesome, but so, so rewarding as well, being in the job that you're in. Yeah. Uh, hell, last week someone got murdered outside. That wasn't that wasn't yeah. fun, which was gruesome and sort of Anything made me feel pretty shit, itself, actually. Or just because of the location, it was... Just unfortunately, uh, there was it wasn't anything to do with my venue. It was just a, it was a venue next door, not to name names. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically, I spoke to the door staff there. A guy got kicked out for being drunk, and then started mouthing off at some lads outside. And these three lads just did him in the street. Police cornered off the whole place, and then he apparently passed away in hospital the day after. But like you know, it's like dealing with stuff like that. You know, because at that point, I've got to then think of my own customer's safety. And I'm speaking to police officers. Can I get a description of the people involved? You know, because they're still about. I want to know if they're in my venue. I want to know if my customers are safe. I want to know if they're being I don't. I want to know if they're in my venue and I'm serving them because that, that's, that's, you know what I mean? And usually they're, they're, they're quite standoffish and upfrontish with you. They're just like, mate, fuck off. We're doing with our shit. I'm like, yeah, I get that. But you've also taped off my emergency exit to my venue and, and if there's a fire sort of <laughs> what the fuck am i supposed to do pal like i don't want people running through your crime scene so let's help each other here and yeah it's it is it is crazy there's so many things that happen it's like you know you do phoning ambulances for people for like some bird that's collapsed in the toilets you know i i had the police outside my venue once so basically there was this guy wasn't letting him in because uh, some girl some girl turned up and she was like said to my doorstep she's like oh this is my ex-partner he's been following me around all night won't leave me alone don't let me in this guy turns up I'm trying to say to him listen we've got a female inside you know, she, she says they're uncomfortable with you like I'm not letting you in because of that reason like you've got to understand like I'm not, I'm not you're not barred from the venue I'm not saying you can never come back I'm just saying for tonight mate unfortunately not and then out of nowhere you know I'm having a row with this guy and then some like some fucking Albanian guy runs over with knuckle dusters on and just swats him in the back of the head and sparks him out, blood everywhere. Police turn up and then arrest the guy who got punched. It is, it's crazy. What? Yeah, I, exactly. And I've just, I just sort of stood there going, great. Here's another two hours of work I'm going to have to do now. Re- recovering CCTV footage with the police. You know, yeah, and, and they it, want it, it there it's, and it's, then as well, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, it's shit like that. And it's just, there's just so many things you've got to deal with. It's like, you know, someone comes to the bar, they're kicking off. you got to pay attention to what your staff are doing the whole time. You've got to pay attention to what all the customers are doing the whole time. You know, I'm also the DJ of the venue. <laughs> um, So I've got, you know, I've got to do that. 
I'm serving drinks, I'm dealing with stock, I'm dealing with customer issues, I'm dealing with staff's issues, I'm dealing with any type of incidents that I occasion that that may happen. You know, if we run out of something, I'm trying to source where to get it from, from another venue nearby. I ran out of vodka once and because the, the bar didn't bring any, I've gone up around the corner to a bar and was like, Literally, because I just know the guys that work and they just walked onto their bar. I was like, just went underneath their main station and just started taking bottles of vodka. Their general manager came over and was like, You're at Cameroon. I was like, Yeah, run out of yeah. vodka, mate. I'll, 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 I'll buy you some on Monday. Cheers. Sit a bit. And then just walked off like 12 bottles of vodka. It's such a demanding job. It, 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 it takes a lot out of you because especially with the hours you work, especially working in a nighttime only venue, it, it takes away a lot of your life as well. A lot of the time yeah. that you'd normally spend with your mates and stuff, you don't because, you know, you're asleep when they're at work and then you're at work when they're asleep, so. And that cycle never sort of crosses over at all, really, I can imagine. No, not really. You get you know, most people nine to fivers and, you know, I'm I'm catering to, I, I cater to the nine, nine to fivers. That's my job, you know, no one caters to us. Do you have any ideas or future plans for the Liars Club? How, how How is it looking for you the maybe next six months, year, or do you not think that far ahead? Yeah, we, we, we try to set up events and stuff like that that we try and do, you know, uh, we used to do a, a rum of the month thing where basically we just pick one of the rums from, you know, one of the high-end rums from the back bar and sell it for dirt cheap. Um, you know, it's got like bottles of like some crazy expensive stuff back there. And, you know, usually mm-hmm. it's like, you know, we used to have a bottle of Appleton Joy. Appleton Joy is, um, it was made by the first female master distiller, um, part of, of uh, Appleton Estates, which are the guys behind Ray and Nephew. Um, I've had a night on that. You know, it's, I'll never it's, forget. It's, it's a, yeah, it's, yeah. So it's, it's a 25-year aged rum um, done by the very first female master distiller in history, and and I think it was like what five five hundred a thousand bottles of it ever made, and we had like three of them at one point. I think it was like twenty-seven pound a shot. Mad or something because of the rarity of it. Yeah, but I had a guy called Lee who is the president of a company called Cisco. You ever heard of Cisco? Yeah, yeah, you know that massive multi-billionaire fucking um, tech mogul company. Yeah, he came in and just bought the remainder of it. <laughs> oh my! The amount at the, sh- at the shot, flat. and he sat there at the bar with a bot with this bottle of rum. That's like I think there's about a grand and a half, two grand to buy a, 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 a if you can find one. He just sat there with this bottle, just opened it and mixed it with Diet Coke. Oh, I, I could, I could have cried. No. Thankfully, thankfully he shared. I actually drank like half a bottle of this room with him. But like, yeah, it's it's you know, the people you see, the stuff we have, it's crazy. We we are currently in the process of make writing a new menu. Slash, I am in the process of writing the new menu along with the guys who I work with. And so, what what it's just, what are you thinking may come off compared to things going on? Are we allowed a bit of a sneak preview into what may be happening yeah yeah we, we've got um we I'm, I'm i'm pretty sure we've got a, a fan favorite coming back which has been gone for like four years but the How drink i love long? it it's amazing i have made some wanky bartender drinks as i like to call them which are just like using just unconventional means to make cocktails um and then some party drinks we're keeping a couple of our like favorites uh slash bestsellers obviously uh the zombie cocktail will never go away do, do you have a favorite go-to drink as yourself me yeah me, me myself is a mai tai i just straight rum rum on the rocks yeah 
but I mean, that's you know, working in a tiki bar, working in a rum bar, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of very rum centered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a rum guy, but yeah, just just sweet and sugary, anything mm. that wakes you up. So if someone it's came in, into the into the bar into your bar, you would you would approach them and make sure that they had a a, a rum that was flavored to their taste. You could sort of understand what they may may want because of how they're describing the flavors yeah absolutely that's one of the things i actually do actually is like sort of saying about you know having this ability to talk to different types of customers you know early on in the day you get your first customers through your door or you know you're still quite quiet you know you can have that sort of bit more of a intimate relationship with your customers and sort of have a conversation with them ask them what they like ask them what they normally drink you know you can you know they come in there and go oh, i don't really like rum i'm like well that's what we're all about here let me change let me change that let me give you something that you're gonna like let me make you a cocktail made all with rum that you're gonna love you know and you gotta go through the, the aspects of you know I ask people who got any allergies, anything you're allergic to, anything you don't like, anything you really hate, you know, and you know stuff like that. All these things you got to consider. And it's like you know, I do like the uh, we do cocktail masterclasses at our place, which have been solely hosted by me for the past year, um, alongside like one of my other members, one of my members of staff. You know, I assume that you know if it's busy enough to require more than one person. And, you know, it's, you, you teach people how to make cocktails of their choice. And, you know, we can make most stuff, you know, we are rum focused. So, you know, if you want a whiskey based cocktail, it's probably not going to be the greatest thing in the world because, you know, our selection isn't the finest. But, you know, if you, if you want to delve deep into your rums and your rum cocktails and stuff like that, or if you just want to make these cocktails from our menu, you know, that's what that's what we're trying to do and teach. Thinking about sort of right back to the beginning about when you did sort of start and enter the live club for the very first time, how did you think and how did you feel? Did you sort of know that you may have been in this situation you are now? It really opens your eyes to a lot of things and you get involved in a lot of things and you try a lot of things and, you know, that that's sort of something that, that happens. Um, some of it's good, some of it's not the best some of it's horrible um i mean when i first started like you know it wasn't it didn't really coincide with my personality i was quite a shy timid person i wasn't very outgoing and loud and it sort of it sort of almost teaches you in a way that that, that everyone has a confident person inside them you can do because working in a bar it's almost like you work you, it's like it's almost like a private pantomime and, and you're the main character <laughs> yeah nice it's yeah. a constant show it's a constant you know it's a, a constant performance all night long and you've got to be that main person you're the main character in that show except you know you, the reason why i say pantomime is because you're interacting with your audience you know what i mean and and it's just got to it's, it's different every time you know i'm not gonna you know what can I get you, mate? He's behind you. No, like, it's a double cracking and coke, please, pal. Like, slice of lime. Yeah. The fuck do you mean it's £9.10? I don't make the price of me. I just get paid. Like, <laughs> you know. Sometimes you don't have any control over the, the company side of things, yet you still get the backlash from the customers. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone does, though, at the end of the day, don't they? I mean, it doesn't matter where you work. I mean, I mean, I... I <sighs> If it, if it got to the point where it was so bad, you know, I, 
if if I was if I wasn't making any money, if I wasn't making any sales, if people were literally turning away and leaving due to our prices, I, I would bring it up and have that conversation, you know, if it needed it. But you know, that that's not something we ever have really. I mean, people come in and, and moan about the price, yet they still pay it, and then they come back for another one. I mean, it's just one of those things when you go out in it. It's almost like a staple to just moan about how much a beer costs nowadays. You know, and with everything that's happened with Brexit, COVID, I mean, that hasn't helped. Has there been any um, sort of like maybe celebrities or any A-listers that have come into to the to the club at any point? And you've had a few yeah, with them. yeah, loads. Um, Rowan Keaton was in once. Uh, you know, Rowan Keaton. When you say nothing at all, Rowan Keaton's been in. We had some American footballer. I once served Benjamin. Was it Benjamin Mendy? Was it meant? Was the the city football player who's gone down for being a nonce or that, something? That's definitely him. <laughs> you yeah, definitely I got served him <laughs> once. It was before I worked there. Yeah, before I worked there, um, I was doing a cover shift when they went on when when the Lions Club went on their staff do. I was just covering for them while they were on their staff do, and Benjamin Mendy came in and with his little entourage and asked for a non-alcoholic pina colada and then kicked off when he got half a drink and I was what? like, well, no alcohol in it, mate. So <laughs> that's half, half of the reason. Drink. That's half the drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's ain't a fucking pina colada. Yeah, it is. Non-alcoholic, <laughs> right? Where's the rest of it? Well, not alcoholic, is it? So it's no alcohol in there. Um, I think H was in once. I think I told him he was a knobhead. If I remember correctly, I think it was quite yeah. calm about it. It was just sort of like, yeah, all right. Someone's yeah. in around me. It's like, that was H. I'm like, who? <laughs> what is your sort of taste in music, considering you're the, the DJ there as well? Do a little bit of um, I mean, I, I literally, I'm one of the rare people who can actually literally sit here and say, I do like everything. I listen to all talks of music, you know, from, I don't even know. There's literally an A to B. I mean, I think the only thing I really avoid is K-pop and J-pop. I mean, I don't really know what's going on there, so that's why I don't listen to it. It's a bit too fun and happy. Um, mm. But you know, the, the the venue is itself. You know, it's sort of the tiki bar, so we've got like tiki chilled out vibes and lounge music. You know, like um, a bit of reggae, bashment. You know, R and B. You know, and then it goes into more like party type music, you know, and stuff like that. It all, all depends on the day, and you've got to change it around. Me personally, Nate, I'm, I mean, I mean, I'm going to see Ghost next week. If you know who they are, um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person who goes to download festival, um, going to see Nine Inch Nails in the summer, um, you know, at Limp Biscuit in the summer. You know, I, that, that's the type of music I predominantly listen to. Um, but then, you know, also have to sort of, you know, part of, part of the job is to sort of be interested in everything else because you got to stay on top of the trends as well. You know, I've got Spotify on Discover Weekly or something like that, or you know, new release for the release radar and listening to all the new tracks and stuff like that, just to figure out which ones are venue appropriate, which is something that you've got to go into, and you know, you just got to keep it going, keep it changing, and. And stuff like that and there's also there's an art form to making a playlist <laughs> you know people always go, oh, playlist you know don't know what to do and it's like you, you've got to mate I've, I've made like so many playlists on spotify that are used for work you know like you put you've, you've got i've gone through you've got to put all these songs together and you've got to order them you can't just play them you can't just put on shuffle you can't put a playlist on shuffle you can't so it's like you know these playlists you know they're on all the time they're on like three four days a week 
Um, and they get changed out with different ones now and then. So, you know, I'll be singing one song and I'll already be singing the next one before it's even finished because I already know what's going to come on. But, like... Is that annoying? You can't actually... Is that good? Sometimes when you make it and create it and put time into it, and I suppose with different seasons as well, there's different music that goes around. You can maybe see that and people want to sort of dance and get in the mood for different things. I yeah, absolutely. And it host. depends on your customer base as well, you know. If you've got a you know, group of fucking old ladies in, throw a bit of Abra on, like, just, I, I refuse to play Murder on the Dance Floor by Sophie Alex Baxter, because I've got, like, PTSD from that song of working in the gay village, um, but, like, you know, it, it, yeah, it's one of them, isn't it? you've just, you've just got to take every day as it comes, really, and, but, like, event you do this you, you forget the music you're playing sometimes you, you it's just sort of though it's so loud and you can't hear anything else you just you don't you're not even you don't pay attention to it it's not there anymore it's gone like it's it's you forget that it even exists really this new menu the up-and-coming menu that we've got you know i'm i'm really looking forward to getting that fully developed and fully smashed out and finalized you know the big issue that we have um, you know, we we take a lot more time with our drinks than other places do. You know, we make our own syrups and cordials and you know, p- pills and potions. Basically, you know, we 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 make our own ingredients. We'll buy fresh fruit and we'll sous vide, cut up apricots for forty five minutes to an hour and soak them in apple juice and then add that with a kilogram of sugar and you know, add mint or pineapple and pandan or we're going down to Chinatown and buying jars of aloe vera jam and you know stuff like that you know we, we find products from random places like one of the drinks that's coming out um is is made it tastes like a turkish delight oh, in, oh. as a bev and it's it's amazing I'm, mm-hmm. i i made a smoothie cocktail for the halloween menu that we did that tasted exactly like ray and nephew yet had no ray and nephew in it what i don't even know is, and ray and nephew specifically has such a defined taste like flavor profile to it you know it's sort of one of them things it's like it's just i don't don't know what i did don't know how i did it did it anyway (laughs) i'll I'll challenge my staff to make cocktails now and then just sort of to see you know where their where their development stages are coming along and i just say like oh make me a cocktail and they're like oh what do you want i'm like i don't know just make a cocktail make it up figure it out think of the flavors that you've used think of the flavors you've tasted think of the alcohol you've used and tasted you know put them together figure out what works if it tastes like shit that's fine we can work on it if it, if it doesn't it tastes amazing sick you did a great job if you got lucky say and then we'll we'll figure out why we did it you know and then like i'll, I'll I, I might just be stood there and be like fuck it i'm gonna make a cocktail like i made one the other day and i was like oh 37.5 mil of gin 10 mil of tequila 10 mil of aperol 25 mil of lemon 5 mil of sugar five mil of pineapple juice um then some sort of then we've got the miss better bit is artificial foma which is like a vegan egg white type product um and then i threw some dry dry, dry curacao in there as well just shook it smashed it together served it up and it was fucking well tasty Oh, I love that. And I was like, and I just literally just grab things and make them. It's like one of the my cocktail composition the for the be. goslings. Sometimes hmm? it's the best way to do it. Just put something in and experiment, and if it comes off, stick with it. Yeah, I mean, if it tastes shit, just put more sugar in it. <laughs> if it does, and if it, do, if it if it tastes too sweet, then put more booze in it. Simple. 
yeah, as I said, there's three like little fundamental things to a cocktail. Really, it's it's, it's you know this. You've got it's got to have booze in it. It's got to have some sort of sweet in it. It's got to have some sort of bitter in it. Really, that that's about it. It's, it's like you know, like a, a classic daiquiri. You know, rum, lime, sugar. There you go, cocktail. Every cocktail ever is basically just you know a, a spin-off from a daiquiri, a Manhattan, a martini, the one that James Bond has. I did that the other day. You know, like it's that's theoretically what it is. It's just a spin-off of those drinks. It's just they've just they've just been taken and something else has been put into it, and it's been made differently. And every cocktail just started at one point and just then moved on from there. I have like a, a lot of like fundamental things that I like to go by as well. It's like you know, the couple comes to the bar and the girls go, I'm single rock lemonade, please. And he's like, no, he'll put his mouth to one side. Oh, I'll have a she'll have a double me. And I'm like, and I'll say to her like, do you want a double? She's like, no, I want a single. And then he'll be like, oh, no, get a double. And I'm like, well, she wants a single. Like, because if he, if I made her a double, I'm giving her more alcohol than she thinks that she's getting. So he could turn around to her and say it's a single. And in my eyes, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a form of spiking. You know, and and he, even that is like, giving someone the wrong drink or giving someone a drink when it hasn't got some, it's got something else in it than they said it was, isn't it, you know? Yeah, it could, all right, you could buy someone a shot of Sambuca and tell them it's tequila, but if they're really just honesty, you just killed someone. Like, yeah, there's there's good sides to it. There's bad sides to it as well. Like, you, yeah, it's like, you, get, again, you, get, you get the last lads comes about. Oh, what's the strongest shot you've got? I was like, oh, I got what Gosling's one five one, mate. Straight oh yeah, up. what's that? Seventy five point five percent rum. Ooh. Is it nice? I mean, I like it. <laughs> will my mate like it? Probably not. Nah, my taste buds. <laughs> will it get him, will it get him fucked up? I don't know, mate. I've got about five, but I mean, <laughs> you tell me. Do you want to try each for their own? <laughs> yeah, this shit's literally. It had a warning label on the bottle because it's flammable. That's how high a percentage of alcohol it is. Oh, well, it sounds like I'll be wanting to have a little drink with you very, very soon. You know, after that. If if that if that's going in the liars club, mate, that's what it is. It's all about it's all about everyone having a time together, mate. That's 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 the point. You know, the liars club for what it is. You know, it's 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 all about drinking and and rum and having a good time and dealing with you the, forgetting about everything else that exists and just this is this is here and now. That's sort of what it's about. Oh, thank you, Cameron. Thank you very much for speaking to me today and coming on the What in the World podcast. There we go. I don't know what was stronger, the drinks or the language used. With celebs such as Ronan Keating and H to being in the centre of a rum-scented bar and having your staff make you a cocktail, what a job. What a dream job. Thank you very much, Cameron, for taking your time to speak with me all things drink. And remember, for a cocktail, it's got to have booze, a bit of sweetness and bitter. And voila, perfecto. Talking about drinks, when you go out and celebrate, it's normally because of an occasion, whether that be a wedding, a party, a get-together with an old mate that you haven't seen for a while, or maybe even an anniversary. This one may not feature as many drinks, but this year, in 2022, marks the 100th anniversary of the BBC. With eight interactive TV channels, 10 radio networks, and more than 50 local TV and radio services, there have been a number of celebrations for the company across the course of this year. With a host of employees, programmes and talent on our screens, or radios for that matter, let's find out more about these iconic faces that have fronted our screens. 
Let's start with an icon whose career spanned more than 70 years, Sir Bruce Forsyth. Known for Strictly Come Dancing, he came to national attention from the late 50s through ITV's Sunday Night at the London Palladium. The BBC also has stars such as Lenny Henry, CBE. Lenny Henry, CBE, is a comedian, singer, presenter and writer who's one of the UK's first black TV stars. As well as comedy, he was involved in drama, commissioning and comic relief. And of course, there are other presenters such as Graham Norton, Claudia Winkleman and Gary Lineker that host all different types of shows and within their service and roles, we appreciate every single person who is either in front, behind or in the mix of making programmes for us, the audience, to indulge in. In 1997, this was the year of the BBC and it going online, changing the platform forever as we knew it. With advancements in iPlayer and on-demand services such as Bite Size for Education, its remit has been to inform, educate and entertain its audience. I went to find out exactly what programmes have had that personal effect on you. So what is your favourite BBC programme or service and why? I like Radio 2 because it's um, informative, it's fun, it, I like the music, I suppose that's because it's my age, I'm over 60. When I'm in the car it's good, uh, when I'm at home it's good. And do you feel that rapport between listeners and presenters is important as well? You no, know, I have my favourite broadcasters obviously, but generally they're, they're all pretty good. And uh, you know, you get to know them and you, you feel like you know them, put it that way. Strictly come dancing. Any kind of talent show, anything to do with music on there. Probably iPlayer, just for the flexibility of it. Do you feel like sometimes it's quite difficult to watch your favourite programmes live sometimes? Yes, definitely. Definitely. So the, the fact that you can rewind, catch up and have that system as and when you decide rather than when the TV decides, you feel like that's a positive for you? Yeah, 100%. I think we've all just got used to being able to do what we want when we want, so that's it, yeah. Favourite BBC programme, Tracy Beaker. Reminds me of being a kid. I don't know, something about the dumping ground just related to it and it was just good fun. Um, the characters... Yeah, they spoke to me as a child, sort of a lot of troubles that they went through, I went through as well, so, yeah, that's it. What's your favourite BBC programme or service and why? I play a because it's got everything on it and you can watch it anytime. Oh, I'm actually not familiar with the programmes in BBC. I'm new in town, so I'm very new. I just came in from Africa. BBC Radio 2, uh, the Sarah Cox show at drive time. Um, I just think it keeps me entertained on the drive home from work. Um, well, it's Sarah Cox and her like liveliness and um, the content that they have on the show, the games and their kind of regular features. Um, I'd probably have to say BBC Breakfast, um, just because um, there's really something for everyone in there. There's the top uh, stories, uh, important news from around the world, but also um, some really light-hearted entertainment guests um, in the programme as well. So yeah, there's something for everyone and six million people watch it every day and I'm one of them. Mine's Strictly Come Dancing, um, it just, I don't know what it does to me, but my whole family watch it, my family in Cornwall, so it just keeps us in contact, we're always texting about it, and yeah, just absolutely, I watch it religiously. Just an entertaining programme, and the celebrities just make it so entertaining, and yeah. you just want to watch it every week, don't and you? And it's like a family thing for us, isn't it, yeah, so it's, it's great, because 
we don't see my family often, but when Strictly's on every week, we're together, so it's just nice, isn't it? Probably BBC One, because I like more factual entertainment. Um, and obviously, if I miss anything, then you use BBC iPlayer. Um, but that's my favourite service. Um, just it's how my taste is. BBC Sounds. Um, I I love listening to podcasts because um, I'm really busy. I've got obviously I work part time and I've got kids, um, so it's just like the best way to listen to like comedy shows and sitcoms. I just listen to them like while I'm doing jobs and while I'm chilling out. Um, and my favourite shows are like mainly comedy podcasts. I uh, really like Greg Jenner's Are You Dead to Me. It's a very funny one. There we are from Tracy Beaker Strictly. BBC Breakfast and Radio 2. There's a host of different shows that have hit people in different ways, whether it's factual, entertaining, or even iPlayer that has absolutely everything. Now, we've heard what the BBC means to you, the public, and your favourite programmes, but what does it mean for my next guest, Abby Thompson? She's a researcher, but from a teenager's dream to a young woman's career, I wanted to find out her story and what made her want to work in the world of telly. My name's Abigail Thompson. Everyone knows me as Tomo or Abby Thompson, whatever you want to call me. Um, and I'm a researcher for BBC Education right now. And how have you found researching for BBC Education? What sort of things do you look into regarding that part of the BBC? Compared to other jobs that I've had um, at the BBC, it is um, it is very different. It was kind of what I was expecting, but um, it's researching, so it's casting um, for like the schools and what schools we go go to, um, find locations, sorting out schedules, um, looking after the money. Um, driving people around and yeah just basically being on hand on the day um, at the schools and yeah helping support the team really. Nice is there any part of that aspect that you feel that you excel at out, outside of the working atmosphere at all? So obviously because I'm on a road um, on the road quite a lot around the UK I've been to um air in scotland i've been to fort william in scotland to london to lancaster sheffield doncaster um lancaster um and i'm gonna go to like huddersfield and chester and all these different places i'm on the road for quite a bit of it which means there's a lot of people like coming in and out um new producers new contributors new presenters um I feel like the main aspect of it outside of the work um is socializing so at like the end of a long day we all go out for meals with each other so we could be starting at seven o'clock in the morning and we could like finish dinner like sometimes at 10 o'clock at night so it's it's a long day yeah it's a really long day um for me and everyone else on the team um one of the main skills I have to have is to be sociable and be able to chat to anyone about everything how do you like being um chatting to a variety of people you said there's a variety of different producers that come on at different times a variety of different schools that you go to variety of different locations from London to Scotland you must every day literally must be a different working day for you yeah 100% like the schools um 
only get told so much and then we kind of um present what we need to do on the day and every single time they've come back and said that they've really enjoyed it which is really good um from previous experiences on like different contracts and stuff I am really good like with talking to head teachers and teachers and um kids at the school um because they do often come up to you and go oh because I didn't share my story they come up to me and go oh like tell me a little bit about what you do and like um how you got into this and stuff and the kids are always like really inspired by it so it's really quite cool to be fair um so I am really good at chatting to people um as you know (laughs) um and then when I'm meeting like contributors and presenters that we're going to spend the whole week with they've almost got like similar mindset as me like we're like all here to do the job um and all to, all here to have fun with it so yeah um it has it has been really good socializing and just getting out and chatting to people really how do you find it when people want to come up to you and sort of say abby what's it like working in this how do you get into this how, how, how do you work in tv like what what's your reaction to that when people are actively asking you but not only that it's the next generation of people coming up you might be inspiring people just sitting there and talking to people and you don't even know it yeah it's it's proper weird like obviously I like always put like my best foot forward and I like try my best at everything and kind of see myself as a role model even though I feel like I'm not half the time (laughs) it's just like weird it's just like people coming up to you and asking questions but I'm like stood with the presenter while the presenter's getting like autographs and photos and they're like they then come up to me and like can we have your autograph and I'm like I'm not famous you don't need my photo like you do not need my autograph I don't even have an autograph it's really weird (laughs) I'm like yes I'm no at the same time (laughs) um but yeah it's all part of the fun of it so I'm just like yeah sure why not go for it (laughs) so these presenters that you've worked with are very high profile people I can imagine what's it like working with high profile talent what's it what's it like do do you feel a bit of a buzz a bit of a twinge going up to them are you nervous do you get used to it yeah it's, it's been a bit weird because the presenters that we've had on the tour with us um because we're one of 15 other teams. Like, there's a lot more of us um, that are on the road. Um, Our presenters have all come from news round or, like, kids and children. um, They've all come from news round and kids' um, background, like, kids' TV backgrounds. So... Are you allowed to give us any names of people? Yeah, yeah, of course. So... Um, on tour with us, there's been Martin Dugan from Newsround, Shanika Paris from Newsround, and Robin Richford, um, who's on ITV Scrambled, and she like fills in um, on Radio One on like bank holidays and stuff, and when she's needed. And yeah, like at this point, like we're best mates really because I tr- like, take them to the schools every morning. I'm the one in the team that looks after like the food um, and the drinks and like all the money for that. So like that's another level of like it's we love you happy because if I wasn't really there they wouldn't be fed do you get what I mean um and because I've I, I used to work on news round 
when I was in the car with Martin traveling up to Fort William, which is about six hours ish mm. from us. Um, yeah, it felt like a little road trip. It was great. It was a great catch up. I loved it. But I feel like the the big like starstruck moments are when the celebrities come on tour with us. So yeah. they're only there for the day. So they pop in and pop out. So the first session that we ever did was with a celebrity, which is high pressure because it's like we're new to this as well. Um, and we yeah. had Kate Bracken, who's an actress. Um, she's done like Killing Eve, um, Calbury being human um she was really lovely and then we had christelle who came second on bake off last year she was really lovely but the other researcher really looked after her because she's a big bake off fan so i kind of just like stepped back and let her like fangirl for the day that, that's um, your but, role for the minute i'll i'll take care of mine i'll have my fangirl another day <laughs> yeah yeah um it, it, it was mad but i think the biggest like starstruck moment was when andy circus was with us for a day i don't know you i've been telling people that i met andy circus and they're like oh who and i'm like the guy that played Gollum, the guy that played king kong guy that played caesar and planet of the apes that's the thing Black sometimes Panther people get such big roles that they only get known by their act actor name and not their real name so yeah it's, like it's really you, weird if isn't you it? see them then it's like wow i know that character but their real name i don't have a clue who they are i'm not sure but it depends yeah. how well you're in tune with the with the genre, with that programme. And if you don't watch that programme, I guess you wouldn't really know any different. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I really, really, like, was starstruck when I met him. I grew up watching Planet of the Apes. And, like, Caesar was just an iconic character. And I'm just like, this is just a bit mad. We actually put him in, like, a separate room with, like, all of his team and stuff. So we could just, like, chill um, while he wasn't, like... Um, in the school hall and stuff and outside of the door was a poster that he was on it was really weird and like I don't know you just think like all these celebrities out there like how many posters are there of me in posters, all these billboards schools? adverts things on yeah. Pepsi cans or something like yeah. that drinks cans that Crisp packets, that's another one that you just see. In it, a different Gary Lineker on those crisp packets. <laughs> There's yeah. so many different people, but how have you found researching on a production that's so rare, such as Share Your Story? It's not like that's something that happens every year, every season, every month, nothing like that. This is a one-in-a-century type show, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, it is pretty unique. Um, I'd say that, it is very different to what I've done before. It's a lot of travelling, a lot of sorting out money, a lot of looking after people, but it's really, like, in, I'm really enjoying it. So, um, I mean, a TV job is a TV job. They all, like, come and go, and they end in, like, on an average in, like, six months' time, so you always know that you're on to the next thing. Um, I am really enjoying it. It's just very different. Um it is pretty iconic though. I know it's part of the job, but yourself personally, do you prefer being on the road? Do you prefer being based? How how do you feel yourself, regardless of the production and any TV world? You must have a headspace in your mind that you know you're either comfortable with or you're not, regardless of how much you need to adapt to a situation. 
Yeah, well, I I love, I've done my fair share of studio and non-location work. And I definitely say location work is more for me. We worked together in the summer and we were away for one week and then back the other. So it was, it was up like one week away and one week back, one week away, one week back. Whereas this is three weeks away one week back three weeks away one week back so wow. it's like so really heavy yeah it's I I struggled in the summer where it was one week on and one week off so I was a bit apprehensive at first but my team is so good like I'm so lucky to have the team that I have like Lee's my producer Charlie's the other researcher the two Alex's um, are the audio and visual guys. Um, we just like really gel as a team. So it makes it really easy when you're on the road. You feel like when you go out for dinner, like you're not just forcing conversation or you're just chatting about nonsense. You're actually yeah. chatting like it's your mate. So that makes it a lot easier. I feel like that's being... very important as well when you're with them literally for the whole day. I suppose you don't really get to see any family. You don't really get to see any friends when you're out and about. So to have those... The dogs and the cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is hard. Yeah, it is hard. I've, I've, I've just, like, struck gold with my team and they tried to put me on a different team for one of the weeks and I was like, no, um, I'm all right with my team, <laughs> actually. Um, yeah, it's been really good. Although you say that everything's all really good and you're very lucky for not only the position of working on the show, but the team that you're in, are there any challenges that you feel come across in, in your work in everyday life? And are there any challenges that you feel that you face? Yeah, 100%. I mean, obviously, being away from home for so long isn't normal. Um, I am very excited every Friday and mm. this week now is a week that I'm home and stuff. Um, so that's difficult, like missing people and that. Um, but I think the other thing is because every, every day is a different school, you don't know what to expect at the school. And all the kids are pretty much the same. It's like the environment, what kind of hall we're getting, um, where's our car parked? Are we going to be able to like load and unload things easily? Um, yeah, it's not knowing what the school is like every day um, is pretty hard. When you go into a studio, you know what you're expecting, you know the environment. Um, and when you're usually on location, you're usually at like a, a certain area for a period of time, at least two days. Whereas this contract, it's a different school every day. I think I like counted. I've done about, um, so there's four sessions a week. So th th there's four schools a week and I've done six weeks. So that's 24 different schools. And then times 24 by five, that's how many sessions I've done. Wow. Let's get the calculator up. Because... <laughs> 120. Um, 140. 120. 120 sessions I've sat through 20, now. And it's kind of. 5. Yeah, and although every session is different, it's, it is like very formatted. So it is pretty much the same. And so it's what, like going what, into what each session. Like for you then, if it's pretty much the same? You've got all different schools and all different layouts and all different presenters and all different kids coming up to you. But what is the same? 
So, um, so the stories, so the actual share your story bit, we have usually um, on a normal week, it's two ambassadors and a presenter and then producer, researcher myself, researcher, um, and then two AV guys, sorry. So there's about seven or eight of us. And the ambassador's stories are always the same. So you're listening to a 10-minute story um, four times a day and then obviously five, um, four days a week because one of the days is a travel day. Um, so the stories do get repetitive, but it, as I was about to say, like it's important when I go into every session, it's like these kids, this is the first time that they've listened to it. Yeah. Um, and the stories are so important. Um, and it's a lot to come up and share your story because some of them are quite hard hitting. Some of them are really light as well. What um, type of stories have you know heard? That he, is there is it something I'm allowed to to ask? Yeah, yeah. So kind of things that like ev- everyone really faces. Um, um, some of the stories are about anxiety, um, dyslexia, depression, maybe coming out um, when they were younger or or any age um it's kind of like encouraging people to open up more um and it's kind of like if this person has gone through this and they've come out on the other side of it and they're now working in tv and fulfilling their dreams so can you kind of thing um we had a blind girl called Natalie with us um she spoke about how she wasn't born blind and kind of um her life up until now um someone's dad had parkinson's disease um and she's a part-time carer but also works in tv as well so it is really interesting these stories it kind of encourages people to feel like look at their story and go oh maybe i I, I've gone through a lot and I've still come out on the other end. Like, maybe I am quite strong. It's made me think about my story. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to go into it, you know? <laughs> do, do you reckon you, you have a story? Is it something, obviously, if you're on the road and you hear all these, you must think, what story do I have? But sometimes it can be quite difficult to talk about yourself, I can imagine. A hundred percent. And I was always under the, like, always thinking, like, no, I don't have the story. No, I I don't really have anything to contribute contribute to this. Um, but like when you step back, it's like everyone goes through things, and whether it's the most awful thing ever or the tiniest thing ever, you're still going through something. Um, and yeah, everyone kind of has something to share. Um, I'm actually, I was going to do training to share my story, um, but I couldn't get onto it because I, someone's birthday and all that kind of stuff. Um, So now I'm doing like the careers panel instead. Um, So I'm actually going to be talking to 300 kids at a time for four times a day. Like, yeah, it's. I yeah, can only yeah. imagine myself as like a seven-year-old in the primary school school hall looking up at the head teacher. That's the only. T- but again, I wouldn't be the one talking. It would be the head teacher talking. How how do you feel talking to that many people at one time? I mean, it becomes normal. Um, the show that we worked on in the summer. Um, the first time I went to a school, um, I was really quite nervous and. 
um I just kind of like led with the producer and let him get on with it um and kind of like learn as much as I can from him and the, that contract was only two and a half months three months and by the end of it I was teaching Makaton which is sign language um two kids um like loads of kids by the end of it it was really weird but yeah so because this is a four-month contract and the amount of schools that I've been to like it's actually it just becomes a little bit normal now Hmm. um so would would you say this is something that you would do again if it came up Are are you feeling a lot more confident I'm not saying that you weren't confident before you just weren't used to the environment but would it be something that you would do again if anything like this arose yeah 100% I don't think anything would happen like this again just because it's 100 years of BBC and they're keeping it quite um that they're keeping it for this year only and that I I think they'll probably be doing like bite-sized tours and all that kind of stuff around schools because they've done that before but um I'm looking forward to going back to program making I think I think this contract's been amazing because I've been able to see the kids reactions and teachers and the head teachers reactions firsthand straight away that's been really great and it's kind of set me up for those long stints on the ro- on the road. Um, but yeah, I'm looking back to going going to make some TV programs um, instead of live events. But if Eurovision asked me to do anything, I would do Eurovision <laughs> straight over um, to Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, Liverpool. You're from round Liverpool area, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, have, have you visited any schools in Liverpool? Is that somewhere that you've been? Yeah, so another team has gone to Liverpool. They've actually gone to the Wirral, where I'm from. Oh, no, I bet you're gutted you couldn't get on that. Gutted, but also, like, I don't know if I'd want to go back to my school. I don't think I'd want to go back there. Wait, wait, they're going to your exact school that you went to, not just the area? They're going just down the road. My mum works at one of the schools. Um, I don't think... I'd want to go to the school that my mum worked at, obviously, so I could just be like, hi, mum. And, like, obviously working that week um, in the Wirral, I'd just, like, pop round to my mum's and go and see the dog every day and walk the dog. Like, it would just feel a little bit normal if I worked there um, for the week. But, no, I'm glad that I've seen, like, different parts of the UK. Mm. Um, Like, I've never been to... Fort William before we're going to Sky in a couple of weeks which is mad um I mean I would I personally would never have been to Scotland or Wales if it wasn't for TV work but sometimes opportunities don't come round if you don't put yourself forward for them yeah 100% um I think that's what it's all about though is like putting yourself forward forward the things and it doesn't matter if you're our age or that um like however age like they are in school doesn't matter if they're it's their age as well like you always just have to put like your best foot forward and like just kind of go for that opportunity it's hard though 100% and what do you think makes the BBC so unique compared to other media companies I feel like um this is gonna be a bit biased because I've only ever worked at the BBC and it was kind of like a goal at the age of like 17 was I'm going to work for the BBC um and now I'm I'm living that goal out it is a bit mad um 
the atmosphere is just incredible like everyone's just so lovely I um, wasn't really like confident on my like scripts and um, haven't really been like confident with a lot of things but every single producer or researcher or runner or exec or camera or soundy any every anyone and everyone has been so encouraging and being like why not try it go for it um and like the development opportunities there are just like insane as well like I never thought I'd be able to write scripts in my life and now I'm getting paid to write them it's just a bit mad that's Um, phenomenal when you look back at something as you say when you were 17 and think wow this is the journey that I've been on and I'm still sort of starting my career compared to other people in the industry as well 100% whenever I'm in like um a team I'm always like the youngest person by like three years and they're like oh your age I was like doing this and doing that like I wasn't I wasn't really like working to um achieve anything like what I was what they were doing now kind of thing um so yeah I feel like I've put my uh, I've really kind of made a stamp on what I've wanted to do and kind of gone for it and it's working and I'm loving it so tick 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 because some Um, people it's not a wrong way but some people just don't know what they want to do in life at, at some stage and you must think Wow, that's a big, it's a big question, but I'm grateful that I know in myself what I want to do. Yeah, it's really difficult because whenever someone talks about them not knowing what to do, I know people at my age, they don't still don't know what to do. I'm, I'm 22, 10 and 23. And like, I know people that are a lot younger than me and older than me and my age, they don't know what to do. And I find it really hard to chat about that because I feel like I've always known what I've wanted to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm really lucky in that sense. Um, I just feel like I, I loved watching TV programmes when I was younger. I loved binge watching them. I loved that sad reality TV. I loved um, turning on my TV in the morning when I was like seven and like watching news round and like, I loved just watching TV. So it was like, it only makes sense for me to go into that industry. Yeah. Um, so for anyone that is questioning, oh, I don't know what to do, just do something that you already enjoy doing, but just get paid for it. <laughs> totally. If there was something that you had to pick out from the BBC that meant a lot to you, what do you think that thing is? What does the BBC mean to you? The BBC means loads to me. Like, it's your career, isn't it? Yeah, like I've learned so much. Like I've literally learned so much. Like when I like like end one contract and like go into the next, I'm like, oh yeah, like I feel so confident. I've done this. I've done that. I'm like buzzing, and then by the end of the contract, I'm like, oh, I learned so much then. And I'm kind of not the same person creatively, like, than my last contract. Like, I get, I feel like creatively I'm getting, like, better and better and better. And I'm not feeling like I'm lost within, like, a big team. I feel like that's pretty 
key for me anyway is I've always wanted to be an environment where my voice was kind of heard and everyone listens to each other and everyone like appreciates everyone's different opinions that's and a, they do that's it so well as well really isn't it because you can have um people chat and chat and chat but the fact that you're you're listening as well and then embracing the information is also equally as port- important right yeah 100% everyone listens and shares and yeah it's just it's just amazing I love it I love it there mm. um I don't plan on leaving anytime soon unless they kick me out <laughs> which um, I don't think they will <laughs> I hope not either because from working with you and obviously what you've gone on to achieve just in this year sounds absolutely phenomenal but traveling across the country do you feel like certain regions are bringing out certain stories or do you feel like every region, every school, every time is different? Yeah, it is. It's different every time. Um, I feel like the Northerners are so appreciative of it. Like really? they love it. They go mad for it. Whereas like people that like, um, like the Southern schools that we've had are kind of like, oh, we we had this talk like last year. Like, whereas like people in like Lancaster and like, um, Doncaster and I don't know just anywhere up north they just love it a lot more but yeah it just, just depends on who you are really I'm, I grew up in the north and I'm a true northerner so of course I'd say that. <laughs> um, what opportunities have you seen people take because of the BBC? Also yourself obviously you've got your own stories that mean a lot for you from the BBC but what about other people as well? Oh, yeah, so I saw um, this girl from uni. Um, She was uh, doing journalism and she had like a week work experience at Newsround as I was leaving. And then she applied for my job um, and she was like really nervous for it. And I like gave her some advice. We like chatted on like FaceTime for like like an hour or so and like now she's like working at Newsround like living her best life like as a runner mm. and it's like really cool to like see her um really unsure at first and then now she's like oh I'm smashing it <laughs> like I love that um but just like loads like there's loads of stories like that where people just like at any point if I messaged someone now I could grab a coffee with them tomorrow and they would give me some great advice and it's kind of like vice vice versa I'd do the same for someone else it is pretty incredible yeah and you were talking about this dream and this incredible passion that you had when you were 17 about working for the BBC what advice would you give yourself now that you didn't have when you were 17 in that dream moment I wouldn't take anything back. I'd still do the same route as I did. Um, I'd still go for all the opportunities. But I would say don't be, like, as hard on yourself. Like, at uni, I saw a lot of people around me getting so many opportunities, and I got zero, and that really got me down. Um, So, yeah, just know that, like, your time is, like, coming, and, yeah, you're going to smash it um, when it does come round. When you were thinking about uni, when you were in college, maybe, or A-levels taking media and beginning to take media quite seriously, what motivated you to start an industry within the media? Was there anyone in your family that worked in the industry previously, or did you do it off your own back? Was it literally just watching TV that 
wanted you to get more involved with it. What was your way of wanting to start in the media? Yeah, it was literally just me. Like, I grew up watching Big Brother and I was just like, what happens behind the scenes? Like, I want to know. Nowhere near as glamorous as I thought it would be. Um, I grew up on, like, watching X Factor every Saturday. So I was like, oh, look, like, the lights, the costumes, everything, the production, the VTs, everything. So, like, that was just kind of what, like, made me want to go for it. Um, and then I was like, I don't know what to do after college. Do I do an apprenticeship? Um, I didn't think any of the apprenticeships would be like I wouldn't get in because I just felt like my luck with things was awful in its in itself. But I know loads of people that have gone through the apprenticeship thing, and it doesn't matter who you are or what like what you want to do. Like it is, it isn't just selected for like the elite it's selected for everyone like went like the uni route um because someone was like oh there's like media city and Salford and I was like yeah I'll go for that went for it really enjoyed it and then as I was finishing finishing my final project I kind of got straight in there it was really cool I, I felt really blessed it was a lot of hard work though don't get me wrong hard work always pays off right definitely definitely <laughs> And from who you've spoken to on Share Your Story, but also in your own opinion, how do you feel like the future of of the BBC is looking like the next five, ten, a hundred years? Is that something that you've discussed? It is looking, yeah, we haven't really discussed it. Personally, I feel like it would be a real shame if the BBC wasn't here. I don't think people quite Mm. understand, like, the impact of how much like the BBC like how much the how much the BBC does um it would be a shame if it all went away um but for now I think it's just about enjoying and and celebrating the 100 years that have happened and making people realize like wow um the BBC do do a lot um for communities and different people yeah it's a great place to work and it'd be a shame if that all went away. Um, and I am looking forward to another 100 years. From 100 years at the BBC there, who would have predicted what it would have become, what productions would have been made, and what services and dedication all of its staff members have done over a series of generations? From Andy Circus and Martin Dugan to going on over 120-plus sessions of BBC Madness, What a whirlwind of emotions and what an experience that must have been to be a part of. Thank you very much, Abby, for speaking to me on What in the World. Speaking, hearing, listening or watching, there seems to be only one main topic of conversation at the moment. That's it, the World Cup. With eight teams, including Brazil, Germany, Italy, Argentina, Uruguay, France, Spain and of course England, being the only teams to ever win the prize since the competition started in 1930. This year, something slightly different has happened. It's being played in the winter, hosted in Qatar. This is the first time Qatar has hosted the World Cup. There have been certain laws Qatar has on same-sex relationships, which is illegal, alcohol and its legal drinking age of 21, along with its sensitive media laws. I spoke with you about whether you believe it should be hosted in Qatar or whether it shouldn't have been hosted there at all in the first place. 
What's your opinion of the World Cup being hosted in Qatar this year, considering all the controversy that's been going on? It should have been boycotted altogether. It shouldn't have gone there at all. Some of the teams have said, and I said, no, we're not going. And do you feel like the captains, the managers, should have had a voice and say in that? Who do you reckon should have held those talks? I think the manager should have said something. Oh, the captain. And also, if it wasn't in Qatar, where do you think it should have been held? That's a good question. I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> My opinion is that in the first place, it seemed a bit sketchy. Uh, Sepp Blatter, who was the FIFA president at the time, um, there was reports that maybe he was um, bidded off or something, so I'm not really sure. So just because of that reason, just alone, I don't think it should have been hosted. I don't think it should be hosted there, and I think FIFA needs to look at itself and, and think about some of the decisions that it makes. It seems to be completely um, obsessed about money. Do you think that's something that Seb Blatter had an opinion about and shouldn't have said in the first place? I don't know. I can't really say anything about that. If it wasn't hosted in Qatar, where else do you think it should have been hosted? I don't know enough about football to tell you that. I don't know. No way. South Africa, maybe? <laughs> so what's your opinion of the World Cup being hosted in Qatar this year, considering all the controversy? Uh, I don't really f- follow football, so I don't really have that much of an opinion. <laughs> Sorry. (laughs) That's fine. Is the World Cup something you believe the country gets brought together by for someone who's a bit more of an outsider? Uh, I have no idea. I really don't. Sorry. (laughs) Mixed feelings. Obviously, everything that's going on. Um, Personally, I think it's the wrong decision. Um, With FIFA and stuff, you can tell it's very much kind of funded by money um, I think even with the recent kind of things with the armbands and stuff from FIFA um, to nations such as like Belgium France England um, you can t- very much tell um, it is still headed towards money and as you say with the problems that are going on um, yeah I think it's the completely wrong decision and very controversial yeah it's, it's a shame I think because like football and England football is a real thing that brings the country together. So for it to be in such a tricky place where they have a lot of kind of bad opinions on things, it is a shame. And the fact that they've not worn the armbands and stuff as well, like that's really upsetting. But really nice that Alex Scott wore it, I saw. That was great. That was a good thing. I feel like that's kind of brought people together in a different way, which is nice. Uh, I'm not much of a football fan, mate, so I've not really got much uh, to say about that, mate. But, you know, it is what it is, isn't it? You're not going to change it. I think it's a bit of a farce to be honest uh, obviously being hosting the guitar it's all down to money isn't it it's all down to corruption if you actually look there's no hype around it whatsoever is there I mean obviously they're trying the best to build it up but it's going to a country that hasn't even got any footballing culture so it's, it's just all about money isn't it at the end of the day so that's, that's my opinion on it to be perfectly honest it's, it's difficult to get into it but obviously I'm a football fan so I'm still watching the matches but it's not the same obviously being in the winter as well you know you're looking at the fan parks everyone's in the jackets and stuff aren't they there's no atmosphere at all so, yeah, they're stamping the money and it shows that yeah, money rules all, done it? Money talks. A mix of different voices and different reasons there, but ultimately I believe there was one strong outcome from what you had to say. That's almost it for this episode of What in the World, but what an episode it's been. We've spoken to Cameron Knowles from the Liars Club, finding out all about your favourite rum, what goes on when the sun goes down and the bars open for the night. We've heard from Abby all about what happens at the BBC and celebrating 100 years of the amazing organisation. And last but not least, we heard from you about everything regarding the World Cup and why you think it should or shouldn't be hosted in Qatar. Until next time, thank you very much. I've been your host, Ollie Dennett. It's been a pleasure to provide you with information about what is going on in today's world. And until next time, take care and bye bye.